Madeline, why, why don't you introduce yourself? Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm Madeline Turner. Uh, I am a screenwriter and a content creator on the internet. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. We are very lucky to have you and incredibly grateful to have you on today for this third episode. Um, So I actually had some different um, questions to start with, but today you've actually uh, uploaded one of you in a field. Would you like to talk about what you uploaded today? Oh, yeah. It's so interesting. A lot of times I will get like, you know, I can complete in a pretty short amount of time. And so those are more like, I don't know, like li- little like appetizers. Um, and I, I love kind of the, the rise in cyberpunk aesthetic, cyberpunk culture. Um, and then equally the rise of like this whole cottage core aesthetic. Uh, and I felt like that was like a very uh, cute, marriage of those two ideas and absolutely what I would do in the future if I could just go into a simulation and be outside for a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Do you mind describing what happens in in that TikTok, in in that short film? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, you're looking at me, the main character, um, and beautiful swelling music and there's, uh, you know, golden light and a I don't know, a wheat field in the background. Um, and then all of a sudden everything shuts down and a little uh, a little like HUD screen pops up, robot voicing, uh, more credits needed. So then it's putting the credits in and getting back to the daydream. <laughs> <laughs> You've had a, a similar one on that kind of cyberpunk core where uh, you're actually paying, or was that the same one where you're actually paying with like a chip in the wrist, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I it's funny. I um I saw that on like a some sort of video. Um but it was someone like paying with a little chip in their wrist. It was, I think it was on like a YouTube video or something. It was definitely like cyberpunk adjacent. Also, I'm sorry. Can you hear the motorcycle in the background? I, I wasn't anticipating that. I can't. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> no, don't you worry. I was actually. very worried. <laughs> <laughs> We're all good. Um yeah, so I uh, I just love sort of implementing uh, those teeny tiny little surreal elements. I think that that's one of those things that takes you outside of our world, um, but still like resonates uh, w- with you as a person. Mm. Do you mind um, extrapolate, extrapolating? I don't know. Explain a bit more cottagecore <laughs> as kind of an art, from an art style. What's cottagecore? Oh my gosh. I really think cottagecore is sort of, I think, born out of a lot of the books that you tend to grow up reading. I, I think there's, especially, I know girls my age, like the, and, you know, older and younger than me, but it's like, the Secret Garden and uh, Anne of Green Gables and and even Little House on the Prairie to a certain extent, but it's this sort of romantic, idealized version of of being in the country and no technology being around and you know embroidering a cushion. And I think I think it definitely with the 
with the fashion that is really popular right now, I think they kind of go hand in hand with just these beautiful flowery dresses. You just you just want to like run in a field. That's basically my actually aesthetic is is cottage core meets a little bit of cyberpunk. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. And of course it's so much um it's a big contrast there between the two as well. I don't I absolutely I don't think I've seen those two married very much in contemporary media anyway. I think it, it is I for me a lot of times it is uh it feels a lot like going online to a certain degree because I feel you know what this age of the internet is so good at doing is providing you with a very specific uh, aesthetic or style or world and sort of allowing you to be fully integrated in that but you're still on a computer you're still you're still on your phone you're still fully plugged in um but the idealized escapism is a lot of the time a lot of the times uh like Jane Austen era or like castles or cottages or in this sort of like romantic notion of um like yearning for a life that exists outside of technology but the reason why you have it is because of technology <laughs> <laughs> very deep i like that i like that i know so I'm on so that <laughs> <laughs> so on the kind of old style romantic period stuff and also you mentioned you're a screenwriter you've been recently going through the fleabag scripts right oh absolutely yeah i that i that show i watched right when it came out the first season um and i i liked the first season i thought it was i thought it was great uh, but when the second season came out a couple of years later, maybe I was in a different place as a creator or it really is like just that much better, but it it's probably hands down my favorite bit of media that's come out in decades. I think it's incredible. That's an accolade. Would you like to chat a bit more about that? Like what makes it your favorite? I think there's something that's really, that's really low stakes about it that I that I love a lot I think we uh, we tend to give prestige to things that um sort of put you in the most heightened emotional state or sort of uh, uh, an example of the most heightened emotional state and I feel like I always yearn for smaller softer stories because i feel like they have a lot of significance and i think that's what she managed to do so well was just uh, just invest you so much in her life and it and her sense of humor um and this love story that she's going through and just doing it in such a clever and like delicate and heartbreaking way and um, so it it made me really hopeful for i think the future of tv and film because i think now knowing how much people liked that it influences an entire generation of uh people wanting to tell stories in that same way mm. no i really agree with that i think there's i mean a private kind of theory i have is i think 
female directors and writers particularly can achieve far better subtlety in and the biggest two genres which i've noticed this in has been in romance and actually in war films so um sally rooney's um normal people i think hits that exactly on the head oh i so i haven't actually watched normal people because (laughs) i'm like a very sensitive little bird and i have been in no emotional state to submit myself to that but i have watched a lot of the um interviews with the cast and interviews with her um and then watched a few scenes here and there just to sort of get the feel of it and i i feel it's the exact same way it there's something that is so um i i think we tend to want to go bigger and wider when uh we want our audience to feel and i think the 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 softer and the deeper that you go, you're going to get those emotions that really resonate the most. I think the stories and the, the characters that feel real and fleshed out. Or if you're going to go big, like go really big, go camp, go over the top. Because um, that in itself is also a really fun thing to watch. Like Knives Out, like that. Those are like my two favorite bits of media that I've seen in years is knives out and flea bag <laughs> oh man yeah they're they're really wonderful i was very lucky to see knives out quite recently as well it's fantastic yeah i love <laughs> it yeah i think yeah as you say there's a huge value to be had in uh, introspection and actually i've seen this separately on youtube actually there's a whole kind of wave of vloggers who've been coming through in the uh pandemic who are becoming quite successful off a backbone of introspection and becoming uh checking in with their emotions you know what i mean um which is previously i don't know of course we as a society we're trying to value more talking about emotions and value them and that sort of thing but to see people our own age doing it privately on their own terms as well and publicize that is quite inspiring i think for a lot of and mature for a lot of young adults to be doing i think so i think there's i think there's a really um there's a level of vocabulary that i feel like people our age and and young people have that uh, generations don't seem to have and it and it is sort of this uh, this understanding of like not just how you how you feel but how your body is functioning and the way that you feel and the ways of regulating your body in those ways. I feel like it's probably because everyone's been in therapy since they were like old enough to crawl, but I'm a huge fan of therapy. Um, I think it's, I think a, if you're, uh, a creator or a writer, especially like, especially an actor, I think it's, it's a crime for you to not uh, be engaged in some sort of education on psychology and like how the mind works and how uh, different people react to different um, situations. It's, I think that's like, should be writers 101. It's just psychology. Nice. Oh, I've, n- I've never considered that at all. Cause of course I think so much of my, formal writing uh, education has all been about story and inciting incident and blocks rather than actual um dialogue 
And the best I learned dialogue was as you've been doing, simply reading scripts. Oh. I think it. I think it's. Uh, I, I think there's something about like. Uh, like I've tried. I've tried to write things where I don't. I don't know. It sounds so like, ugh. but I don't really know the character. I don't know who this person is. I can't like craft a real human being in my mind and I can't do dialogue for them. But once I know like, okay, here's this person. This is, this is how like her mom used to talk to her as a child. Um, and here's this person. And this is like, you know, how he reacted to his parents' divorce. And you just put them in a situation and it's just like, it just takes off. I don't even have to do the work. It just goes. Um, and I think that is, I think that is a really, I've seen that a lot where people are wanting to see that. Um, and they themselves have like integrated that into their own lifestyle. And it feels a little silly to watch TV shows um, where characters don't feel real or feel fleshed out in that way mm. the, the superman problem where if it's too perfect it's just a bit dull yeah yeah i also think that like i think people are down to see like uglier people on tv <laughs> i think there's like a really big commitment they're like i don't want to see i don't want to see beautiful actors anymore i'm over it <laughs> I'm like okay yeah. yeah i get that I get that. But then I did just watch Bridgerton, which is the absolute opposite of everything I'm talking about. So listen, uh, that's that's on the opposite end. Like they, sh they know what they're doing. They're going big. They're going out of the box. And so it, that's their lane. And I respect it and appreciate it. <laughs> well, let's actually talk about that effect on TikTok then, because, you know, obviously we have people who succeed on TikTok regardless due to sheer filmmaking ability and creativity and storytelling. But we also see a lot of TikTokers who are immensely successful, partly perhaps because of looks. Maybe not. I don't know how much you agree with that. Oh, I absolutely do. But I think it's... I think that we're always going to want to see beautiful things. We're always going to want to... I think our our like our, our most like base instinct is going to be uh the pretty shiny thing and I think that TikTok really rewards what you look at and I think that it's always going to sort of be that balance of people who or an audience who is not um, not critiquing the media that they're consuming, not that they need to be. I I personally critique media a lot because for me that's sort of the lens that I tend to process the world. Um, but for other people, if they're on TikTok just as a source of entertainment, then I can see why they would gravitate towards watching you know cute boys and girls do uh do dances but i also think that is what is special about when you do find an audience that is really receptive of that i know i've you know i have a couple friends who are bigger on tiktok um and then are outside of like this the realm of, of tiktok that i'm on 
Um, and they deal with a lot of like hate that hate. They deal with a lot of, uh, of people critiquing their work and being, uh, just being mean. And I feel like that's not really something I've ever encountered, like, at all. I've never had, like, a mean comment in the whole span of my presence on TikTok. The meanest someone has ever been is, like, you need to work on your audio quality. That was it. <laughs> and so I think that I, I, I'm fine with having a small, like, more curated audience um, because... I think that, you know, if it were bigger than that, I might be inviting something that <laughs> I don't really want. And so sometimes those smaller, more curated uh, interactions with content creator and then content consumer are, are, are much more beneficial in the long run versus quantity. Mm. It reminds me, I read, um, I read a good article last week where uh mr jake paul had a paid for audience right a uh, more premium kind of paid for audience mm -hmm. um that and he has 50 million subscribers it flopped right. there are some bloggers with um 3000 followers on twitter with paid for um communities and they have consistency over time i think the value of what you're saying in terms of a more curated audience is certainly true because they're following you and your work and what you're doing and I, I definitely, I think there is a part of me that, you know, you're, you're sort of trying to, you know, understand like the metrics of your own success so you can make smart decisions moving forward uh, on just like a, you know, a career standpoint. And then also just sort of gauging what people like and what they're responding to. Um, and so sometimes I do get a little caught up in <laughs> the the amount or like the niche aspect of the stuff I'm creating. Uh, but then it's sort of the same thing. It's like, I actually, I don't really want, I don't want anyone who doesn't want to watch me watching me. <laughs> and if it's only that amount of people that want to watch me, that's great. <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you so much. And, that, and I should be really happy with that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're you're very um you're very modest and humble uh, about the numbers, and also as you say, obviously it's a small and niche audience. Why don't we talk about uh Why don't we talk about a couple particular ones then, such as the Twilight, oh, the Twilight um Gossip oh, Girl parody. Let's talk about that one. If we're talking about niche oh. audiences rather than the mainstream, that was pretty mainstream. It's so, it's so funny. That was six hundred and fifty k at the moment, I believe. I love that video so much because it was one of those ones. A lot of my like, unfortunately, most of my, most of the ones that are successful, I know are gonna be successful. It's I know like the biggest ones. I'm never surprised by like when they go off. I'm like, that's the one where I'm like, yeah, no, 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 that's this is it. People are gonna want. They're gonna want to see this. Um, and it was like around that time where I think they just put all the Twilight films on Amazon, something like that. Um, and so I was consuming a lot of Twilight and talking about it a lot with my friends. Uh, and I was just lying in bed and it was like, 
Gossip Girl Twilight. Gossip Girl Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Like, and that was it. I was like, and there we go. Okay, now we have to do it. Um, and I have a, I have a friend who I've, uh, we've done a couple like projects together, but she's sort of like my, um, uh, she's sort of like my comedy writing partner. Uh, and she's amazing. And we were just texting and I was like, oh my God, Gossip Girl Twilight. And we literally like every line of dialogue in that whole little video is just a text conversation that she and I had back and forth. Like, no rewrites, like, no nothing. It was just us, like, coming up with really crappy one-liners. Um, and it was it was so much fun. The thing that actually took me the longest was coming up with the name. Because I was like, it needs to be, like, it either needs to be Twilight, but, like, you get that it's Gossip Girl, or it needs to be something girl. And then... And I and I was like I I struggled with it for a while. <laughs> what what was the name um, you settled on? I, sorry, Gothic Girl. Ah, uh, so yeah, Gothic Girl. And that was another <laughs> one that was like it, it just came like out of nowhere. Uh, I'll I'll be like I'll literally like wake up and be like oh my god, okay, all right, we got it, good, let's go. And that's and then I know what I'm doing the next day. <laughs> Oh, wonderful! But I'm not not great at planning, truly. <laughs> well, let's talk about um, production then, in terms of um, actually going in camera on being on set. However, how does that go? If you know you're going to spend a day shooting, how is that planned in terms of pre-production? Obviously, it's going to differ between them, but is there a rough process you follow? It tends to be a little bit of like. A little bit of like a mad dash, a little bit of a of a fugue state to get into. Uh, but I'm trying to think of so the the one that I did recently that I planned the most for, and I say planned in a very uh, fluid sense, was the Powerpuff Girls video, um, and that was because I had gotten reached out to by the brand of the the clothes that I was wearing. Um, and they had this sweater that was like Powerpuff Girls. And so I knew from the moment I like, you know, signed the contract with them and until I got the clothes that I was going to do it. But all I, the, like the little dialogue that I had the characters say, I like came up with like in the shower the day before. And I was like, oh yeah, that's fun. Like, we'll do that. <laughs> Did you write it down and or so, did you just remember it? No, no, it was just in my head. <laughs> and I think I, it, it's one of those things where when you when you do everything, everything, all my videos are are made, you know, all me. I don't I don't have anyone um, on the sidelines. Uh, it's a lot easier to just sort of go with the flow and sort of see, you know, how everything's working. I'm a big fan of like I'll fix it in post, um, and I and and I think you know sort of developing my like energy and my style as a creator. I think it tends to work, it, at least for me, in my benefit. Um, if I I'm not a perfectionist, if I don't if if I don't care about the details, because a lot of times if I'm doing that, I get really hung up on everything. I have this like very, uh, you know, 
nebulous idea of what the outcome is supposed to be and 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 it ends up never you know looking right um but when it's sort of like let's just put everything in a pot and see how it goes it usually ends up turning out pretty nice <laughs> so most of my videos are done the day of everything is sort of done as i go unless i unless i have like a very specific prop that i'm using mm. well when you say as you go i guess i'm considering more traditional things such as a shot list or storyboarding right because i was thinking storyboarding on tiktok of course you're going vertical like i right. what what's that <laughs> look like it's, i think so i the only thing i've ever and i didn't really storyboard this was just like i had to sort of map it out so it would make sense um there's a there's a video i did a few months ago like maybe like five or six months ago and it's uh called the worst party ever where it's like uh like a girl caught in a time loop that i had to sort of write out <laughs> because otherwise i wasn't going to understand it and i didn't know what shots i needed um but i never have a shot list i never have a storyboard um i sort of know pretty much like exactly what i want it to look like and also since i'm shooting it on my phone and I have the camera facing me for the most part. I can see everything. Um, it tends to make it a lot easier. And I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, we, we got what I need. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. That's absolute run and gun. That's crazy. I think, it, I think it's one of those things where, like, like, my whole life I've always wanted to make films. It's been, like, my dream it was like as a little kid i would just like sit and like think about movies to fall asleep that was like how obsessed i've always been with film and i think it's i, I think it <laughs> i don't think anyone is like meant to do anything i think that's a lot of pressure on human beings as a whole but i think if there was something that i was meant to do or or more inclined to do i think the visual medium is definitely where my brain uh resides <laughs> for sure i love that that's that's so well yeah. put honestly that's that's really really cool to hear um well okay let's continue that thread then in terms of when you're shooting i wanted to talk about um the moving shots that you did because you previously previously mentioned in an interview uh agnes verda right i forgive me if i'm butchering yeah. the pronunciation right and she used a lot of moving camera and i noticed you made great use of that and obviously let alone storyboarding that you're just kind of running and gunning yeah basically like so my um my one of the reasons why i started creating those um like either stop motion or or like felt felt videos um was mostly to have uh, like control over a camera um i do everything in after effects and you know what you can do is like everything is sort of 2D and then like the digital camera sort of moves over that. But I finally was able to like do a dolly shot or um, do like a panning shot or, um, you know, have <clears throat> focal pull if I wanted to like manipulate that. And so much possibility, like it just totally changed what I was capable of doing uh, just on 
but I still just shoot everything on my phone. The only video I haven't shot on my phone was the Queen's Gambit parody. But that was because I wanted it to look like very crisp. One yeah, I thought that really was fantastic. Nice shots uh, of uh, Candyland pieces. <laughs> I actually showed that to my mum earlier today because she's just finished the Queen's Gambit. Oh she loved it. Oh my do, you, gosh. do you think there's any space <laughs> then for um, more cinematic? Because, I mean, all your work is very film-based, right? Um, do you think there's a space or a possibility for you to focus more on uh, more cinematic shots? Uh, as you say, crisp, the, what, the, the creative possibilities that a DSLR allows or a bigger camera allows over a phone. Yeah, I think it, it's sort of the, the, the line that I'm always telling a lot of the times is how much time it's going to take versus what I can do with editing software. So when shooting with a really, uh, when shooting on my phone, the, the added benefit is that it's sort of, uh, it's sort of hard to get your lighting wrong on a phone because it sort of just auto lights for you. And everything tends to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit like flatter, a little bit less detailed. And so if I do something and I film it and I don't end up, you know, loving everything, I think it's easier to manipulate a shot that you took on your phone versus a DSLR. I think you have to really know what you're doing. And my strength does not lie in technicalities. <laughs> so if I was ever in a position where... I could hire an amazing cinematographer to like do what I needed to do and want to do exactly that. I would love to, you know, use better equipment. <laughs> but as it stands, I think I tend to work a little quicker, a little better when I have uh, sort of like a, a less prestigious medium. I think it also kind of like, there's a lot I can get away with <laughs> uh, in terms of like people's perception. Like I think if you see something that's just shot on your phone or shot on a phone, the, the expectation is set here. Whereas mm -hmm. if you see something that's got, you know, right from the get go, you're sort of like pulling context clues when you watch something. And if it looks really, really nice, you're like, all right, here's where I'm setting my bar for what I expect to be uh, consuming. And so I think mm. that that definitely has something to do with it. Do you think it's better for filmmaking as a medium as a whole that the barrier for entry now is so low with mobile phones? And particularly think, with an application like TikTok? Yeah, no, I think, it, I think it's going to change a lot. I think it's... I do believe that, you know, the cream always rises to the top. Um, I think, I think we'll probably, I've, I've talked about this a couple times, but I think what we're sort of establishing is almost like a, a like a middle class in terms of media. <laughs> and I think that beforehand, if you wanted to, you know, consume a narrative in in the visual sense it was either at the movies or is on tv 
And then with the introduction of the internet, um, you could see it on YouTube. And I think YouTube really like changed the game in a lot of ways. But because of the way that like monetization is sort of integrated into creating content on the internet, you have people who can have very reasonable, you know, incomes just based on doing YouTube videos. They're not millionaires and they're not like, um, they're not movie stars, but there's so much that people want to see that they haven't been able to beforehand. You could, uh, you couldn't find that really specific thing that you love and that you that appeals so deeply to like you and the things that you want to see um and i think with things like patreon and then with like youtube monetization and and brand deals you can have people you know uh, have livelihoods on like reviewing uh, swords you know, like some, some guy <laughs> on the internet can like review swords and he's, you know, he's not, I'll never know who he is. A bunch of people will never know who he is, but he'll matter a lot to a really specific amount of people. So I think we're going to see a lot of, I, I think we're going to see a lot of, it's going to be way more common to uh, patron <laughs> Uh, smaller creators and so i think we're going to have lots of a lot more mid-level creators which i think is really great in the long run i think that really helps for you know uh the inclusivity of voices and i think someone like me who didn't pursue film at all until <laughs> like may of this year uh i i didn't know that there was an audience for me but because of tiktok and because i was able to do everything on my phone and then sort of learn as i go and have like a very low stakes environment to just play with and have fun you know i i'm you know writing scripts and i have a manager now and i'm you know like really doing it which is really cool and crazy uh and so i think we're going to see a lot more of that Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit more about being your own boss, just in terms of something you actually had on your story, I think, a couple of days ago that made me laugh, because I was in a walk-in freezer at the time, and it was something along the lines of, if you've never cried in a walk-in freezer, I don't give a damn about your opinion on retail workers. I absolutely agree with that. No, I, I, I started working, like, so I have, I've never been an amazing student. But in my like senior year of, of high school, I, I really was like, I'm not doing this. And so I ended up, <laughs> I ended up being really lucky, thank goodness. But I got uh, a full-time job as a server at a restaurant when I was like 17. And so since then, just been working. I didn't end up going to college um, and then just sort of like... Uh, basically like working for anyone who would hire me but within that getting a lot of skills because of that 
but never, I think, I think always, always throughout all of it, my, like, my secret dream was to be working in film and be creating that. I think that was all I ever wanted, but I didn't really feel like that was an option. And so I pretty much, I worked anywhere and everywhere for a really long time till <laughs> until right now. In which case, there is a number we simply have to mention. It's not actually one thousand. That would have been such a good. That would have been such a good intro. No, it's actually seven months. You've only started on TikTok probably seven months ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's how really does crazy. And- it's really. I, I think it is one of those things where people who feel that creativity, feel that like energy of like I just. I know there's a story in here. I know there's a story to tell. I think the thing to that I would give out as encouragement is, sorry, is my uh, yeah. I just noticed that. Um, crazy. Yeah, that scared the devil out of me. <laughs> right. Goodness. Anyway, um, we were talking about your seven uh your seven month rise which is just absolutely bizarre. Right. Let's chat about not in terms of the numbers in growth. Let's talk about your. Uh, you mentioned your skills as a filmmaker uh, as they've grown and developed. Because even scrolling through your feed, you can kind of... Do you want to chat about how quickly you learned that and how you were able to quickly learn that? I think here's here's my secret. Cut corners. <laughs> I think <laughs> when, you, when you learn, I think that's the biggest thing is that... So before I did... Uh, before I was on TikTok my sort of experience as a filmmaker was really just everything I had done. I I was working for a uh, fashion company and I was working in social media for them because that's what I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to be, you know, a little Devil Wears Prada girl and and, um, make it happen. Uh, But they were looking to have someone on on their team, you know, do lookbooks uh like video lookbooks and i was like yes i can do that i will do that for you and so that was sort of my first taste with editing video editing software and i think i was using like iMovie at the time um but then i didn't work there and didn't really do anything within the realm of video besides a couple like editing jobs for ever and my only real computer skill was photoshop um but i love photoshop um and i found that there's something really intuitive about adobe products especially um where you sort of have you sort of build upon your skill set like most things but i i hadn't really uh, <laughs> i hadn't really had the chance to sort of learn a software like Photoshop and then like Premiere and then like After Effects and then Animator, etc. But I found out that they weren't as difficult as I thought they were going to be. And because I wasn't doing them for anybody else's approval, it was just for me and just for my, you know, if I thought it looked good, then it was great. <laughs> it allows me to learn a lot faster and like put out a product a lot faster and so if you are like an animator or like a 
emotions graphic designer, you're going to watch my stuff and you're going to know exactly where I cut corners and where I should have done it better. It's not up to that, you know, standard. But in the sphere of, you know, what I am and what I can create, it uh, it works for me. And so that was sort of it. But I mostly just uh, watched YouTube tutorials. And anytime I want to do something new, that's usually when I'll learn a new skill. Yeah, hundred percent. Just learning stuff on YouTube <laughs> is definitely the backbone of a uh, the backbone of society at the moment for sure. That is the degree that I have is in YouTube. I have a master's in degree in YouTube. Learning online, it's My free. It's free education. <laughs> yeah, it is, sure. and I think. Um, you know, I uh, I love to learn, but I'm not a great student. <laughs> and so that was a great that was a great way for me to like sort of get out of my get out of my own head with my own intelligence and my own capabilities as not just a filmmaker, but as a, a creator in a much more uh, like in, in, in a much more like hardware sense. I think, you know, you don't often think of directors as the ones like, you know, late into the night, pulling, like putting keyframes on things. Uh, and so I think uh, getting more well adapted in those skills really boosted my confidence as just like some making things that. I felt like people would want to watch and then accepting that they would want to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's not just from a production standpoint in terms of producer, writer, editor, director. You're also actually the main character in the majority of the stories that you tell. And the really, humor the that you bring to it. Really, the only reason why I started making anything is because I, you know, no one would put me in their movies, although I never <laughs> asked. But I was like... <laughs> Like, you know, the main character syndrome, you know, like that, that whole, uh, that whole trope on TikTok, I think is very much, um, I think, I think I just have like a really intense imagination and I always have, and I always just want to be someone else for a little bit or be somewhere else for a little bit. And I was like, well, no one's going to do it for me. So I might, I might as well just do this for myself. Oh, well, your let's talk a bit about style then in terms of the stories that you're that you're you're describing in your head because there is over time a consistent style on your TikTok. And what's also really interesting about that is it didn't originate there. Your Instagram actually goes back years in a very similar kind of vibe, very similar kind of storytelling in where you did it in images by images. And in one post, you'll have like 10 very similar things. Mm -hmm. Do you, you want to talk a bit a bit about that and how that developed over time? Just because I found it really interesting. Yeah, I think it... I don't know. I feel like there is something anthropological about how I interact with the world I'm really fascinated with, the micro evolutions of culture, and I think just sort of um, seeing the ways in which we represent ourselves visually, especially in this day and age, especially when style is so 
what's the word? There's such a large like globalization. And I it feels like everyone is sort of dressing the same, everyone is sort of looking the same. And I feel like the ways that we tend to identify ourselves and express ourselves often go through the lens of social media. And so when I started doing those collages and then those like series of, you know, unrelated but but having the same energy, I think that's the biggest thing. And sort of like archiving things on the internet that I thought were funny and pictures that I took that I thought were um, you know, bizarre little time capsules. And then just sort of like smashing them together in one little one little Instagram burger for people to <laughs> take a bite of. Um, I really liked, and I like looking back on them because it, it definitely like gets me right into that, uh, that space that I was in and that emotional, <laughs> uh, that emotional state. Um, and it really seemed to like resonate with people. I think they thought it was, it, it's funny and it, it's a little irreverent and I think it sort of gets me into the habit of making sure I'm taking in the world on like an external level and not just looking inside. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be that deep, but I, that tends to be. Well, I think, I think it's interesting what you said about keeping, being able to bring you into the moment of the emotions you were having at the moment. Right. I think there's a huge amount of value in that for you because I think people's Instagram, we, we kind of, we think about them in terms of externally, how other people perceive them. And yeah, I think the one we view most of all is our own, scrolling back to our memories, seeing how, you know, I think it's very valuable as almost your own diary of things. Absolutely. I think I definitely see my Instagram as, as something of a diary, especially if you are someone who like as a child wrote a diary, like thinking that someone a hundred years from now was going to read it, which is what I did. <laughs> and so I think... There's always been, I think there's always been like a performative level to me. I think that that's just always how I've operated. And so I, I, I definitely find social media to be a lot like a diary and a lot like a sort of uh, appetizer <laughs> introduction to like, who I am, um, especially as an artist and as a creator. And I think if you look years back, I think I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now in such a large capacity. And I think it's, I feel really lucky that people, more and more people are um, interested in looking at that and interacting with it. And um, I need it to be funny and, and <laughs> worth sharing. Uh, but I think that's always been a, an integral part of my of my creation process is uh, the the me <laughs> the me element of it, but sort of a a consistent reinterpretation of my own identity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm annoyed because I can't remember the name of the of the theorist, but there's a there's a media theory which is the social media we consume makes us more like a person that we already are it makes us reaffirm our identity over time uh would you say that's kind of accurate into what you were saying i think that that's definitely accurate i think that i think if you're making sure that you're 
you know, being self-aware and your, um, your, I think if you're aware of the performativeness of it and you're aware of it being sort of a, um, an extension of who you are, but not who you are, it absolutely is a tool for self-realization. I will say I've like looked back like a couple years back and been like, oh, I've grown. <laughs> and that's been like, really, that's been a really cool thing to have, especially if you are someone who's, I think, emotions are really potent and can often feel, you know, when you're in one space, it's like, oh, this is the only way I'll ever feel about this. And I'm going to feel this way forever. <laughs> And then having something as instant and immediate as like photo memories, as as moments in time that were so significant, you put them out onto the internet or, you know, insignificant. Um, that's a really grounding thing for uh, moments when you are caught up in a specific time or emotion or um, place that you can't get out of. And I, yeah, so I like it. I know I, I will say like Twitter for me is like bad. Twitter for me is like my bad social media. Instagram, I've always been fine with, but Twitter's the one that I have to like delete off my phone every, every now and then. Well, let, let's talk a, a bit more about what you mean by bad. Is that in terms of uh, screen time, let's say, or is it more the things you're not, you're not as comfortable with the content you're, you know? I think it's like, uh, I, I think there's a, a level of uh, insecurity with it. I think some people, I think the thing that, you know, like my friends a lot of the time will say like, you know, I'm, I'm taking a break from Instagram. Um, and I think because it does become such a lens with which to reflect your own life back to you, um, it can be really hard with Instagram because it's such a, it's such a visual medium and it is such a space for people to share the highlights of their everyday life. Um, but for me, <laughs> for me, Twitter is like, let me share the highlights of my thought. Let me share like the highlight reel of like how funny and uh, insightful and quick witted I can be. And there's like a, visual that we can quantify that wit or how or that the good the goodness of whatever you decided to tweet and so that is a space that I feel like I don't really have a, a, a good sense of that identity and so I really have to like move away from it for a, a bit while. of a slap down and slap down and ratio culture right yeah Ooh. exactly okay so in terms of my first thousand all about uh, growth and you know how people develop um particularly within that really really early stage so say over first mm -hmm. months let's uh, say over seven months let's talk about uh that first month then how, how did that kind of go for you i think when i first started tiktok it was a lot of i was doing it for the most part because my brother was on tiktok and he was making some really funny um content um and i wanted to 
like see his videos and then of course the for you page got to me and i started seeing what like other people were doing and i was like yeah i could do this this could be fun uh and so i was doing a lot of very just like you know the the very typical uh tiktok content and i don't really remember i don't remember why i was like i'm gonna do this like <laughs> i'm gonna do this like costumed sort of you know filtered edited uh spoof of of like the of bbc um but i i was like that we're gonna do it we're gonna make it happen um and it ended up getting really 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 positive like at the time it was like one of the best videos i had ever had which was really cool i did have one video that's like I was about to say it like was... three million views now. I have one that's like it's the dumbest thing ever. But that was like my first like viral TikTok video. Do you wanna chat yeah. a bit about that briefly? The, yeah, no, it's literally like I'm not like other girls. I'm worse. <laughs> and then it's the I think the thing that ended up getting it was like the Microsoft Word art font. And I think there was, like, but for a lot of people, they, like, oh, I haven't seen that in forever. Like, what a throwback. <laughs> and it was also the and sound I realized as well. I like, the sound is good. The sound isn't even mine, though. It's someone <laughs> well, else's sound. <laughs> well, that's usually the case with uh, YouTube and TikTok, right. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's... Yeah, no, absolutely. What, what um, I mean by the sound is the editing, rather than do it on the beat of I'm not like other girls, I'm worse and cut it on on the beat you actually left kind of a moment of delay that kind yeah, of yeah i left a moment it even and then it goes dun, 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 dun. and i think <laughs> I, I think that is one of the things that i like tiktok tends to reward like a the the integration of like audio and visual, I think they really, really, people really like that. They like watching people dance. They like watching um, people, you know, interact with music in, in a really visual way. And so the first videos, the first few videos that I was doing that were in that more stylized vein uh were definitely taking popular sound bites on TikTok and then sort of revamping them in really fun ways. That's why I was so surprised when the Wes Anderson TikTok ended up doing so well because it's so different than what usually does well on TikTok. I was not into I thought like five people were going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I mean, take it. I mean, I, I, I know you've told the story uh, quite many times, but give us the long story short on the, the West talk. Oh my gosh, the West talk. No, it was, it was really like, like how we were talking about earlier. Most of my ideas, the ones that I know are like gonna be good, are ones that come like that. And it's like, I can see it in my head. I see every shot. I know the props I'm gonna use. What I'm gonna say. Um, and everything else, is, I, I tend to sort of fill in while I'm there. Uh, and it was like, shot it, edited it, had it done, six hours, threw it up, total mayhem. Six hours. <laughs> and yeah, it was like, and, and it was truly like just running around my apartment, 
finding props. I think a lot of the times, if it's an idea that comes really quick, it's definitely uh, the quickness to which I can film it is knowing what I have on hand. Like if I know I have something that's gonna like really make it work, really tie it together prop wise, um, then it sort of just like flows after that. As long as I can get, you know, some of the visual components. But a lot of times it's, that honestly just feels like luck. Where I'm like, I had no idea I still had this. I had no idea this was gonna work. That's crazy. Uh, and it just, it just sort of, goes just sort way. of goes hmm. it just sort of goes <laughs> well but, you've um, so, yeah. you made well let's talk about how you made um you actually then branched into youtube where you did about how you made a costume for one of your later videos right what right. talk about why you started um moving st stuff onto youtube and how that was a different experience for you i find youtube to be as a creator much more challenging than on TikTok. And I think I my favorite, you know, it's not really a social media, but I think of it as more like in the vein of like, you know, TikTok, YouTube, and then like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. I think it's sort of all within the same vein of it's not really it it is for the purpose of entertainment. Um in a much more narrative way, in a much more traditional sense. Um, and I love YouTube. Like my, that's where like all my screen time goes to is YouTube. Um, and I've been on YouTube, not as a creator, but as a viewer since I was like 13. So I have, it, it's sort of one of those things that I think is just integrated into uh, the everyday media consumption of people our age uh but as a creator and making videos it's one of those things that it's a like a lot of work it's a lot i've like when making my first two youtube videos those were like more challenging editing experiences than anything i've made i, I was going to say that one of the <laughs> 20 minute ones you did the amount of sheer editing within the first 10 seconds i had to pause i was just my eyes were i can't you know i had to get a drink of water and then sit back down because the amount that was going on i was like oh jesus this isn't well it's not a bad thing because it was quite the opposite i was like this isn't normal youtube you know here's the kind yeah. of youtube we're used to this is the production value that i'm about to sit through you know what i mean and that's something that is rare and is special i think it's one of those things that i would love to do more of i think I think I sort of need to find my groove with it. With TikTok, it, it took a while. And I think with YouTube, it it is, I think, a much more prestigious space to have your content. Um, and I think it is, you know, asking someone to watch something for 60 seconds is not that tough. And I think that is... I'm comfortable with that. Like I can send one of a video that I've made to a friend and like not feel guilty that I'm taking 60 seconds out of their day to like watch something I've made. But like a YouTube video, any I mean anything over like 
three minutes. I'm like, that's a lot. That's a commitment to like make someone sit through. And so to make that entertaining enough and valuable in some capacity and also just not hate myself at the end of it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's like, yeah, no, <laughs> I think it's, um, it's definitely something that I, I want to do more. I think it's more just getting into the flow of it and finding, uh, finding a voice in that space. But I think about doing, um, almost like, a like the old, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, cartoons, the way that those episodes were structured is like you have like the cartoon that's happening or or even like Animaniacs. That's a more recent uh, representation, but they've got, you know, the 30 minute block and there's like a chunk of narrative happening. And then in between those breaks, there's like lots of little teeny tiny stories that are happening. And it's just sort of like almost a variety show. And I've been thinking about wanting to integrate that into YouTube videos and sort of just instead of making it, you know, almost like how I do my Instagram posts where it's just, you know, you're swiping through 10 unrelated, but still same energy Mm. (laughs) style of, uh, of things. And so you're getting little bite-sized morsels of entertainment. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I think that's really well described, as you say, with 10 separate things, but very similar energy, which replicates how you're feeling at the time. That's It's such yeah. a clever way of doing it. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk, sorry, let's talk about more traditional film then and your takes on it. So we briefly mentioned the Twilight one um, and also the Queen's mm-hmm. Gambit one that the Queen's Gumdrop. Uh, there's also a couple of others, which um, I couldn't help, but, you know, there was your second Wes Anderson one and also the Veruca one of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That one absolutely loved, and the production value behind that was insane. Like, can we talk a little about that? Because that was something really special. It's actually, all CGI. It's that was like my first. Uh, that was my first time trying to, like, fake a backdrop, like fake everything. The only thing that was like real was obviously me, and then, um, like the putting the little presents into box but everything else from like the golden ticket to the newspaper clipping to the wall to everything is like fully cgi um and then like created everything from scratch in photoshop which was so much fun and so cool just to see like the possibilities of what i could do um but i was really proud of that one that one is like one of my favorite ones yeah nah it's amazing Maya I'm a big fan of that one I've also I like I just love like Veruca Salt is like I think one of my favorite just characters of all time um and it was really it was fun to have something that I (laughs) that I was like oh this would be really cool I would watch this and then have other people be like oh no I'd 100% watch this too yeah would you ever think Absolutely. about developing that more at all? Or because, I, well, a separate thing. I'll... Wait, do you mind saying it again? Just already... for the mic. Oh no, I'm. Uh, it is maybe I can't confirm or deny, but it is something that might already have a pilot written and might already be um, uh, 
making its way out and about in the world. That is incredible so, to hear. Yeah. Because, yeah. That, <laughs> wow, that's absolutely that was, incredible that to hear. That was like, that was the, that was the video that, uh, got a couple emails in my inbox that um were really exciting to get and so um i that was that's another thing that i really love about tiktok is like if you are a creator like i don't really view it as like end game in terms of like creativity i feel like a lot of times it's it's totally like a it, like a place for experimentation and so I feel a lot of times if I'm if I have an idea for something um whether or not it's like a tv show or a movie a lot of times um in my tiktoks there are like bits and pieces of all of those things in like the one minute format and being able to have metrics for how people respond to that um to a certain idea or whatever is really really cool as um a creator and also really beneficial to be like you know here executive like look at this thing that i made like a teaser trailer basically yeah no that's awesome for sure and it's far um it's also the access as well because on tiktok it's just that oh okay here's the creator's email and also it's very easy for these executives to simply link the individual videos hey look at this this is cool as hell it takes a minute to watch it's a far faster kind of flow than going through the vimeo links and drop boxes and oh my gosh no and i think that i think there i think someone can be (laughs) swayed a little bit more by the public reception to something so not only are you seeing this thing that's been created or an energy of a thing you're also seeing you know how many views it got you're also seeing like who is who would watch this what they liked about it um the the level of enthusiasm i i think it it gains so much if if you are a creator in that space and you're utilizing it in that way, I think it is an invaluable tool. I'm very mm. happy I have it. <laughs> I also I'm just like I'm just happy that anyone would watch anything that I create. So that is like yeah, I would say one of the one of the really wholesome things about your audience in the comment section is on that the oh my god when are you doing a netflix thing oh i would totally watch a full series of this so nice people are so nice it like blows my mind i yeah no and 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 i think that is uh yeah i think i think as an artist you always want to stay true to yourself of course but if you have any sort of realistic goals in making it into something that's not just about you it it's absolutely a partnership with an audience and whatever audience that you're connecting with because you you want to give them something that they're going to respond to that they're going to resonate with um and sometimes that's not exactly your what you your first instinct is as a creator isn't necessarily what <laughs> the world as a whole is wanting to interact with so having a way to 
have a dialogue with people in such an instantaneous way is it's really cool. And also, like, I think really affirming if you are maybe insecure about doing something different or having a different style or doing something that you haven't seen before, or haven't seen in a long time. Um, and having that sort of response really encourages you. I think that's like why I've gotten to the point that I've gotten to as a creator is because people kept encouraging me um, to do more. And I think, and that's just so cool. All right. Well, we'll finish up on a bit of a fun one then, which is in your video, you, we've talked a bit about style and art direction. You make use of lots of old timey tech devices such as um, mm -hmm. boom boxes, TVs, lots of static, even you you have static over the image. And there was this one prop or pet, I guess, which I just couldn't, I knew there was something more there. And that is the CGI fish named Francis. Oh my What's gosh. the story of Francis? So, okay. So Francis is my favorite name in the whole world. And I think, I think there's something I don't know what it is, but I love fish. <laughs> I love fish in in like um in in like an aquarium. Sense. Like I don't want to encounter a fish in the sea, but I do love I love just a fish in a bowl and I love the thought of that fish being somewhat like observant of like our world in a way that like we can't comprehend existing in their own universe and you're existing at the same time. And so the CGI fish Francis in the YouTube video, uh, I think it's just probably my dream pet. And I, and I found this like green screen, um, like sea monster um, on YouTube. I was just like a little, like a free little green screen sea monster. And I was like, but what if he was, and what if he was in my house? And what if he was my pet? And that was like, there it is. That's that. That's my dream. <laughs> I just want uh, a, a big old sea monster in a little tiny fishbowl. Sentient monster, then Francis. Tell me secrets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh uh, God, no! Just, I love I the character. Want, I just want it to be my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I could I could go on as well about the the microwave as well. The argument with your microwave. Oh, I I'm. That's one of those ones where sometimes. I get a little like sad about I I think I've made some really good content like right in the initial uptick after the Wes Anderson video and the, that's one of those ones where like I don't know if I'll I'll make anything that maybe not smart but like I'm really proud of that one and it feels really different than anything I've done before uh and and it was one of those ones that I didn't even have a, a story when I started filming it. I just filmed different faces on a microwave and then just, you know, filled it in after that. Um, but I didn't like, I didn't plan it. I didn't have a script or anything. It was just sort of on the fly. And so there's no way I can, you know, plan to do that again. It just sort of has to happen. <laughs> So it was unplanned with the faces and you could have done anything, but you chose to go with um, quite an argument, an argument between yourself and yeah. the sentient microwave. Uh, is, there, 
is there any meaning behind that behind the surface level i had a this microwave the uh, some microwave i still have um it's uh it, it, it's very temperamental at times and sometimes as we all are uh, uh, listen <laughs> we all have bad days even microwaves <laughs> and sometimes when it would be like cold it was when it was like really cold in the morning i think something about like the mechanics when you turn on the microwave it would make this noise that sounded like someone screaming from far away <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard it was the funniest thing i'd ever heard in my life and i was like what if <laughs> there's got to be something here there's got to be some some sort of communication and conflict with uh a microwave and also being in quarantine i sometimes i can force my brother to be in a video with me but for the most part it's just me and so if i want to have any sort of interaction with anybody else or any sort of characters it has to be something that um is sentient in in a sense and so that was sort of the the inspiration was my screaming microwave but something happened and she doesn't do it anymore um and I'm upset by that. <laughs> well, you've got that memory captured. You have the story there. You have the really, emotions yes, captured of the moment. It's there. It's there. Yes. <laughs> I guess we will finish up then with, if you had any advice to aspiring filmmakers, TikTokers, creators, what would you say? I would say that if you feel like you've got a story, it it's in you. It absolutely is in you. And if you work on it and you sort of test it out and you experiment and you're willing to take chances you're going to find the avenue that is going to best fit that story and i think everyone everyone who feels they have a story can tell it it's just finding the right way the right outlet to tell it and finding the way that their voice um it's just the best amplified and the best uh, uh, glorified. And so take a chance, experiment, and you will find your way. Madeline, it has been an absolute privilege. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much.